Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be looking back at our Derby Day defeat at Brentford. It was 3-2 in the end, a disappointing evening. Our first trip with fans to the GTEC Stadium, and not one we'll look back on fondly. We'll analyse everything that happened in the game and get through a stack full of your questions. Our Fulham feeling the fatigue of recent matches, what has happened to some of our standout performances. We'll get into all of that on today's podcast. And I am joined by, first of all, Jack Kelly. Hello. Good afternoon. Isabel Barker. Hello. Hi, how are you, Sammy? Good, thank you. And Drew Heatley. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Uh, let's do some three-word reviews uh, from last night. First of all, Drew, what were the best slash worst ones that came in? Yeah, there were quite a few. Uh Quite uh, quite a few good ones actually. Um, uh, on both sides of the fence, there was a lot of betting uh, betting puns in there, which was quite funny. So Fulham fan base, uh, the house wins. The house always wins. Uh, <laughs> sadly for us last night, um, that's brilliant. We got Matt Wall eighty eight betting against Europe. We're not quite there yet, but you know there was a dent, wasn't it? Uh, I think yep. we can all agree. Uh, Fulham fan uh, Fulham fan news. Fulham transfer perspective is needed. Uh, something that I'm struggling with, um, but I think is is very pertinent. Uh, Tom Greatrex, concentrate on cup, um, which I think we can all agree with. Uh, we can just focus on the cup now, can't we? Uh, now the elusive fourth place is probably done and dusted. And uh, a real fun one from Sol Bamba. He does come up with some good ones, doesn't he? Bees means fines, which made me laugh. That's exceptional. Oh. Well done, Sol. <laughs> that took there me a while. Go. I really yeah. wanted to say it right without, without messing it up. So we, we win on that. Yeah. Very good, Sol. All right. Um, let's get into the analysis, the breakdown of last night's game. Is I'll start with you. You were kind of in a more neutral position um, in the press box, although probably surrounded by thousands of insufferable Bees fans, no doubt. Um, what was your view of the game? It just felt like it was always going against us from the first whistle. Um, we had a good end of the first half we managed to get ourselves back into it but second half was was so limp from Fulham and it's been so rare that we we say that really I just think that it was a, probably a deserved defeat yeah for sure I think you know Brentford what they're so good at is starting you know super quick super confident and we just didn't deal with that consistent pressure we just looked really sleepy obviously everyone will kind of look at the suspended Jao Polinio as the reasons maybe but to, as, as a collective, I felt like we looked so sleepy. Um, big names like William and players like that just looked a bit off. And that was really worrying. We weren't able to make those kind of inch perfect crosses and things like that. And, and they just had this consistent pressure and we couldn't soak it up. And obviously they were rewarded within just just six minutes. Um, and obviously when we weren't without Polina the last time, it was that Newcastle game and we shipped four goals. So I guess it is. It does have a part to play in it, but um, you know, I, as I was saying, I covered a lot of Brentford Brentford's games, and and they do that so well. You know, that confidence and that pressure early on, and um, I just felt the game plan was really off, and and it just kind of set the tone for the whole game. Really, I just had a really bad feeling about it, um, and I've been covering the kind of Brentford press conference before, and and they were so confident. They've been on such an amazing run. Um, 
it's annoying because it feels like we were playing each other and still besides Polinia, there was shouldn't have been a reason why we were in my opinion so bad but um yeah yeah it, it wasn't a great day I mean Jack it just felt like Brentford have obviously had a couple of weeks off they haven't been playing in the cup um they didn't have the match the weekend before because they were supposed to be playing United who were in the Carabao Cup final. So they had two weeks going into this game. And I remember thinking, well, you know, Fulham have still had a decent run into this game. We still had six days after that Leeds game. I didn't think fatigue would be an issue. And if anything, I thought it might suit Fulham for the fact we were kind of more match sharp. But actually, you could tell pretty quickly that Fulham were just looking a bit leggy out there for a lot of this match. Although I have to say that, as I said, in it is his the, the question to is as well. There was a period in that first half, about half an hour, where Fulham were dominant uh, against Brentford. But second half, it just, the energy wasn't there. It felt like a lot of what's been great about Fulham this season just didn't come to the fore. No, I think Brentford set the tone early on with their early chances. But you could argue that in the last four games, including last night, we haven't performed at our very best at all. I think the Leeds game, apart from two worldies, we were quite lucky to get through. Brighton, obviously, we were dominated and still managed to get the winner in the Wolves game. We had to come from behind. So the performances of late have not been up to scratch. And you do go through periods like this in a season where, where you know, it doesn't quite click. And um, yeah, Brentford came out sharp last night and the goal was was difficult. Obviously, it's a deflection, but you're right. There was a spell before halftime where we had a lot of the ball. Um, we weren't creating loads of chances with it. Uh, Brentford defended very, very well in parts, but... There were signs of life there. Um, I thought the final ball, particularly from Robinson and William, just lacked a little bit of um, pizzazz. And um, Mitrovic was was quiet. And to be fair, if, if Mitrovic isn't firing all cylinders, the whole team itself um, is, is below par. And you can look at Pelilia, as is said. Um, he was a huge miss. And that void that he... Um, that had, that Reed had to fill was and Lukic had to fill just wasn't quite up to scratch and it's difficult. Um, however, you know, ten defeats in all competitions this season, one in the cup, nine in the league, two games where we've lost by two or more goals. It, it, it's still sensational stuff from Fulham and and if we look at this season in hindsight, um, we're going to be very very proud of ourselves. It's just the fact that it's Brentford. At least we beat Chelsea. At least we drew to Chelsea and beat Brentford earlier this season. It's just one of those ones. And um, the grass will be greener on the other side, I'm sure, when we go to the next week's game against... Well, actually, maybe not because it's Arsenal. But hopefully there will be be better days to come. There will be better days. Yeah, we are on a tough run, Drew. And, you know, we've picked up some wins where we maybe didn't expect, particularly that Brighton win. And that and that's meant that Fulham are still, you know, heads are above water. But, you know, this this fight for Europe, it's it's a tricky one, really, because it's obviously disappointing if Fulham do drop out of this kind of race for Europe. But at the same time, we never would have expected to be here. So you can't be too disappointed, but it's just natural, isn't it? That there was an opportunity of something and it's kind of slipping away. And, and that is kind of hard to take really, no matter how much you try and tell yourself that, Oh, we shouldn't have been in that position anyway. And we would have bitten your hand off to be here at the start of the season. It's always disappointing when actually something becomes possible and then suddenly isn't possible. Yeah. I think we were talking about in the pub before the game yesterday, it's human nature to always want more. 
no matter what happens, you know, at the beginning, we'd have said 17th goal difference, but then, you know, you get to December, you get to January, and here we are uh, in the upper echelons of the Premier League. And of course, then we start looking forward. Um, they've got 40 points, as you said, Sammy, pinned on the notice board in Motspur Park. And, uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> we're sort of stuttering to that point. But, you know, as fans, we don't think about necessarily the 40 points. Uh, we, we, we dare to dream. And that's what it's all about. I think, we, you know, I think allow it, allow us to start to start to hope that we could uh, possibly go to Latvia and, and Belarus and wherever else uh, that we met, might have ended up. And we could still end up. Look, I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, <clears throat> I would uh, I wouldn't bet against a, a top 10 finish. I'm sure Ivan Tony wouldn't either. Um, I wouldn't bet against a top 10 finish this season still. And I'm not, you know, today it's like Jack said, right? It's Brent. It's just a shame it was Brentford. Like that, as you know, we were we were always going to run out of steam. I think the last sort of five games, as as Jack already said, we weren't particularly. We rode our luck. I think it's fair to say in in, in one or two of those games. So I remember, you know, a few years ago, we always used to say, "Oh, we get a, a thrashing is coming. We're gonna we're gonna dish out a thrashing to somebody." And I think I think we've all sort of thought in the back of our minds that a loss is coming, and it's. Uh, obviously, it was three goals conceded last night, which is more than we've done in the last few games put together. But everyone's just a bit leggy. You saw it against, uh, you saw United on the weekend against Liverpool. They were just absolutely knackered after playing a game every three days for the last however long it's been. And although we've not had that relentless pace of games, we've got a, a smaller squad than than other clubs in the Premier League, and um, and that's and uh, it's it's paper thin. The the depth, the quality of the depth. We've got bodies, but it's the quality of the depth. And I think it was a mixture of those two things yesterday. Yeah, it is. And it was just such a shame that Fulham didn't survive that early pressure. I think it was kind of inevitable, wasn't it? Going to um, the G-Tech and, you know, obviously it's their cup final. They were going to be up for it. They hadn't played for two weeks. They came out the blocks. I think we could have expected that. And just to to fold after six minutes, concede that goal from Ethan Pinnock. I mean, there's nothing that Ream or Leno really could have done, but you've allowed someone to have a, a swing at it from outside from from just inside the box and then those things kind of happen it was just a shame because you saw as that half went on <clears throat> if we'd have just got through that first 10 minutes and not fallen as we did then i think it could have been a very different game the longer it stayed at nil nil it was just so disappointing to uh to fall behind like that yeah and like you say it wasn't alien to us marco silva knew what they were going to come out with and, and we'd seen them do it against the likes of liverpool at home and, and get amazing results um but like you said we if we'd have weathered that storm the result could have been so different early on because i think i read from very own our very own peter rutz's article this morning that Brentford had six shots inside the opening eight minutes and then five in the next 75. So it is a real shame. Um, but, and Len, and it, but it could have been uglier in that, those first five minutes. You know, if Brian yeah. and Bermo had have, had have um, hit the target and or we hadn't had the heroic save of, of Leno, you know, it could have been a lot worse. So, and, and it's not good in a derby game. You know, it's, got, it's going to have that aggressive, fast-paced nature and we, and we didn't deal with it. I felt like we didn't look as kind of like up for the the derby feel as we did in the first game. I felt like Brentford's players looked more cheeky and aggressive and they were kind of up for the the antics of a derby, whereas we weren't really feeling it as much. And, and I don't know if that had a part to play in it as well. 
Yeah. Um, Jack, uh, Brentford went close to making it two with two free kicks that were extraordinarily close. I didn't realise how close the Buemo were. I noticed that Tony hit the kind of angle on his free kick. I didn't realise quite how close Brian and Buemo's was. That was a brilliant free kick. But actually, it was Fulham's free kick that got us back into the match. And um, I've had a feeling about Andreas Pereira. He must be the best Premier. He must be the best free kick taker in the Premier League that hasn't scored this season. He is so close with every free kick, and he couldn't have got any closer last night. Like physically, any I mean millimeters le- lower, and it's and it's his goal. Fortunately, though, it it, it led to Mana Solomon uh, getting his fifth in five games. What a run he's on! But yeah, I just want a moment almost to appreciate Pereira's free kicks because. I mean, he deserves to have scored like two or three this season. He's come so, so close so many times. Yeah, no, it's true. His technique's very good. He he gets the ball up and down very, very, um, very well. The one against Nottingham Forest, and there was one against Leeds, I think, just before half time as well. Um, yeah, he's got good technique, and actually, I think it sort of hits the angle of post and bar, and then it quite kindly falls to Solomon. It's a great reaction from Solomon to. Um, to manage to nestle that one into the back of the net. Um, but yeah, Pereira is great from a dead ball situation, not only free kicks, but corner deliveries as well. Um, a few assists for him this season. There was a, an instance in the game where we, I think in the second half, we did that thing where we play the ball out to the edge of the box from a corner and try and catch them out. Didn't quite work out that way in the second half. But Pereira's contributions this season, off the ball and from, from, from dead ball situations especially, have been... His real, um, the real positives I've seen from him this season, but it was a cracking effort, wasn't it? Um, and and yeah. brilliant that Solomon could get his head to it and, well, for, for that time, equalise for, for Fulham. Yeah, um, uh, the Man of Solomon saga, I think, is going to rumble on whether he stays or goes. Um, bloody Fabrizio Romano timed his little tweet, didn't he? That old Solomon's assessing his options or whatever, like 10 minutes after we lost the derby. It's just like, come on, Fabrizio, let's uh, leave it for one day, would you? <laughs> we're, all, we're all pissed off enough about having to read that on the bus on the way home. Um, Drew, there was a couple of refereeing um, decisions that were very questionable in the first half um let's come on to the first one should Sasalukic have been sent off uh yes I mean I think I think it would take you the most ardent Fulham fan and 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 Sasalukic fan to say that he didn't um it it didn't help us but well maybe it did We, we don't know but yeah I think it probably was um it was an interesting one though, wasn't it? He said it was a genuine attempt to, to get the ball. And I think, uh, I think it probably was, but I don't think necessarily that's always the point. And, uh, but, but yeah. equally, look, you know, not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Thanks very much. But he did ruin it with a, another contentious decision that I'm sure he'll get onto in a bit. So swings and roundabouts, I believe is the phrase. Well then, Drew, I'll come on to the second one. Should Ivan Tony have stayed on the pitch for, for they kind of like the way he got, like, kicked his head. It was I didn't see it in real time. I had no idea until I saw people on Twitter talking about it in real time. I had no idea it happened, but that's not an excuse. Um, VAR is there literally to pick up things like this, surely. Yeah, and that's exactly it. I was the same. I think we were sat very, very close to each other in the ground. So we had the same sort of vantage point and I didn't notice either. But then exactly that, like uh, we've got all of these different uh, technologies at our fingertips and, and you know, uh, the referee's ground level, he's got eyes as well. So, you know, there's many different failures there to, uh, to spot. So, yeah, I'm I mean, again, yeah, he should have been gone. And it's a shame that that would have really helped us probably. But um, it's like you say, you know, we we weren't, as he said, we weren't necessarily up for it in that in that sort of uh, vigorous way. And uh, and Tony was probably a little bit too vigorous. 
Is what was the view from the the press box on the on those two decisions in the uh, in the first half? Yeah, so I was actually um, we got like a little call in from Mark Halsey, who's ex referee, and he was saying that Tony was right to stay on the pitch. He is a QPR fan, to be fair, so maybe don't listen to what Mark Halsey says. But he said, and I never, I never forgive him for what he did when we lost to Arsenal three 0 uh, Actually, don't yes. listen to what I'm about to say. But yeah, he said. <laughs> He, Tony obviously caught Lukic with his boot, but um, that he said because the midfielder kind of, he'd slid in on the ground and it was accidental contact, then the referee made the right decision. And maybe he took into consideration, obviously, that Lukic was extremely lucky not to have been sent off before then and that played a part in it as well. But um, yeah, he seemed to agree with Anthony Taylor for, for all of the decisions. But... Has, has there ever been like a defence in court on an assault? You know, oh, he accidentally made contact with my boot. <laughs> Outside the club, Your Honour. Like, come on. Also, you have never seen a referee um, criticise the decision of a fellow referee ever. There's no pointless. I mean, Peter Walton. Let's cross over to Peter Walton um, so he can agree with what the referee just did on the field um, in some roundabout way. Um, It's never never Peter Walton going in on a a referee, is it? Oh, my God. Jack, then the penalty, I mean, again, one of those I had no idea. I mean, it's soft, isn't it? Like, yes, he catches him, but what's frustrating is because, I mean, if it was a VAR overturn, I'd have been fuming, but I guess if the referee sees it, he sees it. But, I mean, Brentford players barely appeal for it. Like, that's the thing that gets me. I I just want, it looked a bit like he want Anthony Taylor wanted to just give a decision almost. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's just one of those ones that like no one really saw coming. Um, there was no real threat to the attack at that particular moment. Um, and then the referee just points to the spot. I'd argue that Tony made more contact with Lukic than the foul that was in the box that the, that the penalty was awarded for. Make no mistake about it, Tony will get his comeuppance um, in, in some way. It's just a bit of a disgrace that it's uh, it's going on for this long and he can score and do all these celebrations and tweet all these things and make all these horrible, weird references. Look, he will get his comeuppance. And when he does, that's it. He won't be able to play. I mean, but the penalty is fine. I mean, keeper goes the right way. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't really have much to say about it, really. I, I don't, the penalty was the only no, decision which Marco was really vocal about he wasn't that bothered about any of the other ones or who stayed on the pitch or what but it was just the penalty he said um you know this is an aggressive derby we're going to see play like this it was such a soft touch and it's such a harsh penalty to give um so that was the only one he was really fuming about in the press conference and I have to agree with him it just seemed it did seem really soft and really harsh it wasn't a decision befitting of the occasion you're absolutely right and I think that's one I think it's the one that annoys me the most because it directly that ended the game really didn't it so it was you know you can talk about as you say the ones who stayed on and ones who left but that was the one that changed the game and it was it was so soft, soft, even a word. So yeah, it definitely wasn't befitting of, of the derby. I think, look, and I know that like decisions tend to even themselves out over time, but like I think back to when Willian didn't get that penalty against Everton, for instance, and that was more contact that day. And yeah, Fulham have had like a few decisions go our way this season, but that one did just feel like, come on, man. Like that is, I think when, when opposition players aren't appealing, I think you've got to ask yourself a question really. Like 
players will always appeal for absolutely anything and everything. Mm. So if they're not appealing, your alarm bells should be ringing in your head. Um, but fortunately, the slow-mo replay kind of just about justifies it and, and VAR can't overturn something when there is a bit of contact. But yeah, um, I mean, just a bit disappointing as well, Drew, how close Burn Leno came. Oh, I know. And that's it. And you know, when you're- Oh, how magic that, that would have oh, been. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been the moment, one of the moments of the season, wouldn't it? And uh, and then I would have loved everybody to run up to Tony in his face and do the Mitcho hands celebration to him, the little slug. Oh, yeah. Like the thing <laughs> is, like <laughs> he gets he gets all the benefit of the doubt from the broadcasters, but fans might give him a bit more sympathy if he wasn't such a, a little wanker, little wind up merchant. So you know that would have been absolutely excellent. But when you're on a when you're on a run like that. In you with, with penalty, I think it's like twenty two and twenty two. I read this morning. I mean, you're not you're going to get the uh, the rub of the green. Um, add me to the Brian's gun uh, compilation. You're going to get the rub of the green, and he did. So <laughs> it's just a shame. Yeah. I don't understand. Oh. I don't understand why Sky Sports specifically are so up his ass. I mean. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, the, the narrative is really terrible. It's, it's, it's like strange. Tony's the victim here. It's strange because really he's confused. got this investigation pending over him, yet they're, they're just feeding the narrative that, it, oh, he's this great striker. Well, where were you at the World Cup? I just, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand why he's getting so much praise when he literally has this cloud over him, which is going to come to fruition at some point. And then they can't say anything. Like, yeah, well, it's like you know, you're, are you are you um, are you uh, not able to be blamed for something? Because you know, if if you commit a crime, you know, if you're good at what you do, does that absolve you of any blame? It's just a, it's a really weird thing to ask. It is just odd. I mean, it is just odd that he is playing. Like, they 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 can be no bones about that. The fact that he has admitted this these these breaches. And, you know, the rules are there for a reason. And I do get the argument of like, look, betting in football is you know, a massive issue and he has spent his life holding up trophies with gambling sponsors on that. I do get the sympathy on that a little bit, but ultimately he's, a, he's admitted an offence here and yet he's still being allowed to play. Like, how long is this going to take? In any other walk of life, in any other profession, if you admit to wrongdoing, you will be suspended pending an investigation. Right? Yeah. So why is he still yeah. on a pitch? Why is he still playing? He won't ever get picked for England ever again because Southgate won't won't stand for that. So it's ridiculous. F- fuck Ivan Tony, but like regardless, I think we shouldn't have. I don't know. We should. It's annoying that he scored a penalty against us. Like Ivan Tony can do that anyway, regardless of a betting thing. So it's kind of like I still feel like we just kind of slightly have ourselves to blame a bit. Yeah, we 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 can yeah. look into all of the instances wherever you like, but actually, I think fatigue last night just showed and that was why we lost and and that was why yes. we didn't have the impetus that you needed and that's you know that was the root of all of the problems yeah 100% like, it isn't that that's the reason we lost last night but it <laughs> no. is just annoying it, it is just frustrating yeah, yeah. I do I do I do get um the point there um is um the third goal was particularly just rubbish Marco made some changes that were just a little bit bizarre really you know p- players like Cedric on for Tete didn't really see why Tete needed to go off um Mana Solomon coming off I didn't feel like was was massively needed either um I could understand the Lukic one he was on the thinnest of thinnest ice yeah. <laughs> um for the rest of that game and also hasn't really got up to full 90 minute match fitness in the short time that he's been at the club but it just didn't really work from Marco last night, did he? He tried to do a last throw of the dice, and if yeah. anything, it just made us it just made us weaker. 
Yeah, for sure. Obviously, like the the squad, the the starting eleven was already. I felt like um, hadn't wasn't settled. wasn't like a settled starting eleven anyway. And I felt like Fulham have been really settled before. And then the changes that came on made us like even more unsettled in the game. Just looked really odd. Um, you know, players that haven't gelled together, haven't been playing together, hadn't given us those consistent results. So they were they were really bizarre changes and. Um, if, if it was to inject a bit of energy, if anything, but we looked even more sleepy. You know, Kev, is it Kevin Shade, Kevin Shard, um, Brentford's new mm. forward, um, outrunning Anthony Robinson, who's one of our quickest players, just kind of summed it up really to to, to set up that third goal. Um, so that was really disappointing. That was just a kind of Anthony Robinson being mugged off by Kevin Shade, this, this, who's supposed to, Anthony Robinson's supposed to be our fast, one of our fastest players. But yeah, um, it was just really disappointing. It kind of all just fell to pieces and yeah yes just summed it up really that evening why don't we uh why don't we put one of our keepers on yeah we had two on the bench we could have we could have yeah just for a last foul that is yeah. a point though um obviously we had luke back on the bench and then this this young goalkeeper as well i don't know if you guys have any intel on um i don't know what the state of the squad was the injury list and things like that but why we had those two on for the brentford game was a bit baffling i thought it was a bit too maybe a bit too much for luke that game to be on the bench yeah i just don't, i just don't think there's enough players i just i think there well, ultimately um, just isn't enough in the squad and with with the injuries that we've got to, to the likes of um to, to kenny um it's yeah. it's, it's and, and then Polinia suspended i just think that our squad is that thin that two or three injuries means that we yeah we're having to draw up third choice keepers in order to make just to fill the places i can understand the solomon substitution because marco's been adamant that he's not ready to play 90 minutes at the moment that will take time yes. to build up but you're right bobby deacord over reed can slot into midfield anyway so he was a probably the only midfield option to bring on in terms of to play a slightly deeper um in replacement of, of harrison reed or sasha lukic um, I mean, we could have brought on Dan James for a bit of pace up top, but he hasn't really got a look in recently. Harry Wilson came on and didn't do much. I can understand bringing off Tete. He's played a lot of football recently and maybe Suarez just gets a bit of minutes at his legs. But yeah, we, we were we were quite um, to the bare bones last night. And um, this Polonia suspension it has, has hit us hard, really, I think. Yeah, it really has. Um, obviously, uh, Fulham did score a consolation to uh, level up the scores on aggregate for uh, the season against Brentford, That's which was nice well done, Carlos. Um, a 99th minute consolation. Um, I don't think there were many Fulham fans in the away end to see it. I think a lot, including myself, uh, had made a dash uh, during stoppage times to try and catch uh, forlornly uh, catch a train from uh, Kew Bridge before the hordes of Brentford fans got onto it. Um, had fun going home. Nice of them to tell us that Gunnersbury Station isn't open for an hour after that was really uh, that was really fun when I got there to find uh, the barriers closed and it was a, it was a long way home and uh, not a very uh, fun experience uh, having to, to get home after to watching that but that's always the way with derby days um, they're amazing when you win them and they're horrific when you lose them and uh, fortunately we've generally had the upper hand in derbies this year but um, that one was a particularly tough one last night we're going to take a break here afterwards we're we'll getting some of your questions Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Jack Kelly, Isabel Barker and Drew Heatley. Let's get into some of your questions. Um, feels like a very different vibe on the questions from uh, recent weeks where it's all been so celebratory. Uh, definitely uh, people uh, with some, with some uh, you know, some problems. There are some problems and uh, we'll try and get into them now. Um, 
This has been a big talking point, I feel like, since last night's game. Uh, we briefly mentioned his um, ability from set pieces, but uh, Andreas Pereira, Elliot asks this one. He says, do you think Pereira needs a rest? He's lost his directness slash aggressiveness in the final third, and you can see we're lacking ideas except for going wide and lumping it in the box. Um, Drew, um, Pereira has been magnificent this season. There has been, though, a bit of a drop-off. Um, I wonder on the Pereira one, it feels a bit like there's a lack of competition for that spot. And I just wonder if that's a big part of it. Obviously fatigue comes into it too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there is not really a direct replacement for him in this side, especially with TC out as well, who can play that role or maybe Bobby Decadover Reed can kind of play that role, but there's no one specifically that mm-hmm. can do what Andreas Pereira does. And I just wonder if that's, kind of catching up on us yeah I mean first and foremost as we've said before it's got to be it's definitely fatigue but I think yeah you're right does he in the back of his mind does he think well there's not there's not really anybody to uh, replace me I don't know if I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because this is his um, this is his sort of restorative season isn't it Uh, coming into Fulham doing doing really well Um, there's always been a bit of an end product that was been a bit of a question mark but there's no doubting his industry and his and his efforts so for him to come back uh, to Premier League and, and have that season where it's it's almost his delayed breakout, uh, it would be. I don't know if it would be in his necessarily in his nature to sort of let that drop off so soon. Uh, we still got a long way to go, uh, regardless of whether we're safe or not. So you know, maybe maybe it is just purely fatigue and and more than a mental thing. But um, you're right. There's there's no one there for him. You know, people were talk clamoring for. Um, for us to take Fabio back in January on loan. And it was, uh, it was poo pooed by many people, me included, but obviously, <laughs> and I'm not saying we should have done, but there would have been an option to, to switch around. But yeah, a rest is, um, a rest is not, not always uh, a result of, you know, you're not, you're not good enough. We're going to drop you. It's, it, it would be nice to give him a rest. Um, sadly, sadly we can't. So it's, uh, we're going to have to keep uh, keep flogging him for for the next few months at least. It's worth noting that his he was involved in both of the goals yesterday, though the set the, mm-hmm. the goal we got in. Um, it was his he had a pop up goal and then it fell to um, Vinicius, and obviously he was involved in the Solomon goal as well. So he he was involved. Yeah, I don't think it was terrible. I think we need to maybe notice that as well. But obviously he's played every league game and every FA Cup game, so probably just needs a rest and I think he obviously came from the Brazilian league didn't he so um he's uh, means he's played a ridiculous amount of matches I can't remember what it is but um he came halfway through this season or something so yeah probably just need a rest (laughs) yeah I mean um we've had a few more on uh, on the Pereira subjects might as well read them out they're not um you know Chaz says why does Marco love Pereira so much all he does is give the ball away which causes us so many problems only a Positive is his ability in dead ball situations, which conversely, uh, Fulenstam on uh, our Telegram chat said, would love to know the stats on goals from corners this season. We seem to have massively lost our threats recently, which is very true. We haven't, um, you know, earlier in the season, it felt like we were scoring uh, a goal from a, from a corner or a set piece almost weekly. Um, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, uh, certainly in the league, um, the Southampton game was the last time that we scored um, from a corner. So it does feel like some of our, our dead ball threat seems to have disappeared. I don't know if that's a trend or if that's something that Fulham have changed or we're just maybe teams have picked up on the mm. fact that we're so good from set pieces is probably the most likely um, outcome there. Um 
Dom asks, uh, do um, do we have a slight issue that both our best wingers are left wingers? Willian was noticeably a lot less effective last night and our um, RCM, uh, Reed never looked as good without Bobby playing on the right wing. Do we have to start Bobby right wing or maybe even Harry Wilson should be there? Jack, it's, it's, it is a bit of an annoying one that, yeah, Solomon and Willian are our best uh, wingers, mm-hmm. but they both just look so good on the left. And, and Willian did look a bit lost on the right last night. And, and, I, and I do wonder if we miss Bobby on that right-hand side. Yeah, no, Bobby brings something different. Um, in terms of the trickery and pace that, that both Solomon and Willian bring, it's very vital to us in the final third. I do think that they are interchangeable. I think the game against Leeds, they switched, they switched, uh, they switched wings a couple of times in the first half. Um, it's just one of those ones. I think that if um, uh, William has played on the right quite quite a lot for Chelsea um, when he was at Chelsea, I think if his left is his strongest side, that's obviously vital to play. But um, vital for him to play in that position. But at the same time, I think that William gives us a little bit more than Harry Wilson does and Bobby Deagledoberry do individually just with his pace and his trickery and you know he does come up with goals and assists um, I would stick with those two but you're right in saying that we do need a better right winger or a better option on that right hand side It's interesting um, I spoke to when I spoke to Solomon he said that um, how kind of similar him and Willian are and how much he kind of like not models his game off him, but like learns loads from him. And I guess it kind of suggests he was saying himself how they are really similar and how it's this really healthy competition that they have. So I guess maybe a different option would strengthen us potentially, or over time we will find them both working on both sides better. But yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Um, Drew, Lewis Stevens asks, why can't Anthony Robinson cross a ball? Um, which is obviously a bit harsh, but I do get his point. I mean, Anthony Robinson has one assist this season and it was the goal that Solomon scored against Wolves, which is an assist in name. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't exactly say it was one of those where Anthony Robinson could claim it was his goal. It was definitely a piece of brilliance. It just happened to be that Anthony Robinson passed him the ball beforehand, admittedly with a very good decoy run as well that, um, that opens up the space for, for, for Solomon. But yeah, it, I just have this feeling like when Anthony Robinson gets forward and he gets forward brilliantly and look, he's a good defender, but I just have this feeling that when Anthony Robinson's in a crossing position, he tries to put a ball in the box. I just know it's not going to, I know it's any, and especially even when he gets the byline and stuff, just have this feeling deep down. I'm like, this isn't going to lead to anything. It's just going to be blocked or it's going to be too far or it's not going to, it's going to be difficult. Like for, for one of the players, he does just seem to have a bit of a lack of ability of creating chances. Yeah, and I think at some point you need to ask, you know, is he is it is it negligence in the position? Because and and that sounds like I'm being a bit of a knob, but the modern modern fullback is as much about getting forward and putting balls into the box as it, as they are about defending. And you know, it's not the it's not the late nineties where just being a tough tackling uh, son of a gun on on the flank is is good enough. It's it's not anymore. And Anthony Robinson's always tread trod a fine line between uh, being one of the best fullbacks in the world and one of the worst in the championship. You know, it's one of those funny things. He's always either showered with praise or, or pillory, uh, you know, absolutely hammered. So, and he's always trod that line, but I think, yes, um, bottom line is, I think questions should be asked because as I said, the modern fullback is, is, is important for them to get balls in the box. And it's, uh, it's one of our, it's always been, pre-silver it's, for the last few years it's been one of our biggest uh, things that we that we do especially since Mitro has come so yeah it's 
it's it's not it's not good enough really and that's and that's the back the black and the white of it um jack this is a, a pretty intense question from dan um uh i'm almost scared to ask it um with mitro being very hot or cold um is now the right time to cash in on him i love him but is it time for something <laughs> different and let me reiterate i love the man i'm just playing devil's advocate i Oh, no, I mean, you can't almost contemplate it. Surely he is just on a bad run of form and it probably is a bit overreactionary. Is it? Why, why, do, why do fans automatically think that just because a striker goes five or six games without a goal, that means they should be sold or should be dropped? I don't get it. Yeah. it, it, it it's ridiculous. Um, think about Mitrovic's contributions in this whole entire time at Fulham. Um we are getting goals from all over the park. Solomon scoring five and five. Vinicius cashing in on a goal last night. Willian scoring. He's allowed off games. I don't get it. He, he's he proved himself this season as everyone wanted him to. He has done that. Just cut him some slack. I know it's devil's advocate. You, you caveated by saying that. But at the same time, I just it really frustrates me. Stick by your players. I guess... I guess I don't think here, I mean, I'm going to stick up for Dan. I don't think he's criticizing me. I mean, yes, he's saying he's burned hot and cold and stuff. I guess the point is Mitrovic is 28. He will be 29 in September. If you were, and he's on a big contract. If you were going to get big money for him, it is now. Yeah, but- now is the time where you could get big money for him. And there is potentially some sense to it. I'm not saying it's the right option, but I think that's maybe where Dan is coming to here. In the system we play right now, there's 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 no other better option up front than Mitrovic. He's irreplaceable. What it would set us back in terms of a rebuild would be, yeah. it would be not worth any sort of money that you can get. I, I, but I appreciate that is the angle of the question. I think Mitrovic leaves Fulham when Mitrovic wants to go. I think he's earned that right. Mm. Uh, he could fleece me on a timeshare and take all my money and I'd still let him stay and I'd still <laughs> cheer him on that from the hammy end. Like that is, he has earned that right for me. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate that that is, yeah, that's definitely the angle, isn't it? But I, I just think the, it, it's the value to the club. And I just think you can't put a price on it. The amount of years it would set us back to adequately rebuild, not just a replacement because you're not going to get another Mitrovic. Uh, it would be, it, it could even force a full change of style. It could be anything. So I, I don't think there's any amount of money that would make it worth it for us. And you see clubs in this league who don't have strikers and how badly they are struggling. Mm. You look at Everton right now, you look at Wolves right now, like teams without that number nine, I think you like, it's just not worth it. I think there is a potential question this summer of whether Mitrovic looks at his career and is like, this is the crossroads. I think this summer for him is like that one where he's going to have to ask himself, I either stay at Fulham and do as Wilfred Zaha and I'm here forever. But if I need, if I'm going to move and I'm going to try and, you know, win a title, win a Champions League or be part of a top four squad. I think this summer is that moment. And I think he will have to ask himself that. I'm hoping that he will just see that life's nice at Fulham. You've got it good. Everyone loves you. And you're trying to go to PSG or Arsenal and, or, or Chelsea or whatever and be a backup striker and try and improve yourself again isn't that necessarily fun or the grass isn't always greener. But I do think that conversation is coming up this summer for 
for sure for, for Mitro. A uh, few more questions. Uh, this one's a little bit light. Uh, um, Fulham Catalonia says, uh, when will the mint kit be banned? <laughs> Awful and only brings defeats. Um, is I'm not a fan of having to support the mint chocolate chip team um, yeah. when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm supporting Fulham. Ban it. It's becoming like the curse of the, the mint green kit, isn't it? I feel like, who is it that had it? Like West Ham or someone or Aston, Aston Villa hadn't won in their weird janky kit in like years until Emery turned up and I don't want to follow that trend just get rid of it all right get rid of the rid of the weird mint janky kit and we'll all be happy we always look so sleek in like a block color just like a a white a black even a red I think we've had recently ish and Mitro's look so good in it and yeah I'm, I'm up for binning it to be honest I thought Marco didn't rate it. I thought he, lit- he I thought yeah. it was a, a de- decree from him to not pl- wear, pl- wear the mint kit. And I think maybe Adidas were like, uh, hang on a minute, guys. I think we need a little bit of airtime. But I thought, yeah, I thought he didn't like it. I've, you know, I'd heard the same. I've not heard what- that. That's great. There'll be one more game I think we play in it, which will be Southampton away. Every- everything else we can wear white or black. So I wouldn't worry about it. But, but will we though? Because when we played Brent- Brentford at the cottage, we were in white and they're in red and white. So it's like there's no, they're in black. They're in black. Were they? Yeah. Oh, they were in black. Yeah. You are right. But I have seen a game where we have we've opted for we've played in white and somebody has played in a, a slightly clashed kit. I don't know what the rules are anymore. It used to be uh, you wore your home at home and you wore your away away. In my day, when we played two up top, <laughs> no, no more. <laughs> well. um Sunderland, they played in red and white and we played in white. That's the one. Yeah. I knew it was a red and white team. It baffles um, me. I'm, I not, I'm not really sure how it works, but we've yeah. had good success as well in the black this year as well. Like I the like Leeds the win, I think mm-hmm. we were in black. Like, let's just go back to black. Mm-hmm. As Amy Winehouse once said. <laughs> um, uh, finally, this, this is a great question from John. Um, we've struggled uh, against Southampton, Everton, Wolves and Brentford all of whom are teams who prefer not to dominate possession. Are we failing to set up teams for, who sit back and hit us fast on the counter? Um, I mean, Jack, I think it's potentially an issue and you can see why Fulham, you know, would prefer almost to play against teams on the front foot. We have done very well against teams who kind of dominate us as opposed to the other way round. But also there have been games this season where Fulham have been fantastic against teams that have been sitting back as well. So I'm not 100% sure there's a trend there, but you might you might think different. No, I think you're right. I think it's very difficult to maintain a level performance over a 38-game period um, and, and be consistent. You know, there will be times where you sit back on the ball and you break well and there'll be times where you dominate the ball and can't create anything. It's It swings and roundabouts of football, really. All right, two final ones. Um, Jack, this is definitely up your street. Um <laughs> James Wilson says, last night absolutely sucked, but at the same time, which hand would you have bitten off in August if you were offered seven points from West London Derby? Some positivity from James, which I'm sure that you'll be fully riding along with. Well, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's fine to, to, to lose one out of those four fixtures is okay, especially when you're playing Chelsea twice and the squad they've got and the resources they've got. So, yeah, I mean, I would have taken it Hands down, a last-minute winner against Brentford, a, a draw at the bridge, a, a win at the cottage against Chelsea. It, it, it's fine by me. It, it's not that deep. I was actually asked that question at the beginning of the season, and I actually bit Jao Polina's hand, which is why he uh, <laughs> uh-huh. had a bandage on. Uh, just an exclusive <laughs> for you there. There we go. Uh, final one from Nick Austin. He said, in 1904, Fulham chairman Henry Norris helped Brentford buy a leasehold on a five-acre orchard that became Griffin Park. Why, in capital letters? <laughs> and how do we undo this? Um, Izzy, 
Why, why do we do this? Why did we create help create two of our biggest rivals? We obviously <laughs> are the catalyst behind why Chelsea exist. We also helped Brentford exist. Why did we do this to ourselves? We could have had the whole pack to ourselves other than QPR. Like, why, what do we, why do we deserve this? Oh, it's a bit of been fun, though, this season, though. I feel like it's all been worth it for this season. All right, yeah, last night was bad. But like you say, seven points from these West London derbies. We are still ahead of all the West London teams. We're in, mm. what are we, seven? Brentford is still nine. Yeah, you know it's still looking really good. Obviously, we've got a game in hand over them, I think. But um, um, we've got quite a few. Yeah. So, but still, you know, look at the achievements we've made this season. We're in seventh position. You know, we've we've just lost that one against Brentford last night. Still a push towards Europe seems likely. We just need to sharpen up a little bit. So. Lots of positives to take. And I think it's been fun this season, the rivalries and the, and the West London derby. I think West London has been the best kind of talking point of the season. And Fulham and Brentford, that rivalry, I think everyone knows about it now. And it's been exciting. And last night was just a, a little bit of a blip. But Drew, were you alive back then when that little bit of... <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was a witness when they signed the contract. But it's important to remember as well that uh, you're only as good as your, your rivals. You know, I, read, I, I heard once that uh, without Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker was just a whiny little bitch. You need your enemies. You need your enemies to justify your own existence. So we saw that early on and, and we took action. So fair play to us. Yeah, I mean, you only have to look at a team like Reading just out there in the middle of nowhere, in the cold, <laughs> trying to have a right rivalry with Oxford exactly. or Swindon. Yeah. Like, you do need them in a way, but it could have been quite a nice Like It could have just been us and QPR. Well, look at QPR. I mean, QPR right now, 25th in the Championship, top of the table in October. They, they are going absolutely nowhere, and they'll be very jealous of the fact that games like Brentford v Fulham have played on Monday Night Football on Sky Sports, albeit they speak more about Ivan Tony than anyone else. No coverage. I should let it go, shouldn't I? Good point. A good point, though. A great. You probably point. should let it go. Yeah. Don't, worry. Don't, don't worry about it. We 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 all have our bizarre little uh, things that wind us up and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Ivan Tony is uh, is definitely yours. All right, uh, that'll do for the podcast today. The podcast will return on Thursday, looking ahead to the Arsenal game um, on Sunday, which is going to be a very very difficult one once again without uh, Zhao in the middle. Um, but if Bournemouth can get two goals against Arsenal, then uh, surely, surely their run of um, just somehow doing incredible epic comebacks has to end somewhere. Um, so fingers crossed, Fulham can uh, can take advantage of the fact that they do look a little bit porous at the back. But anyway, the full preview uh, will be on Thursday's podcast. Uh, we'll also look ahead to everything that the Fulham Lilies are doing for International Women's Day. They've got a load of events uh, coming up this week, uh, which is uh, hugely exciting mostly centred around the Arsenal game uh, so we will look into those as well Drew just before we go uh, we need to name the pod what did you think was the best three word review that deserves the title I think the best one having having looked at them all again and there's some fun ones in there but the one that sort of encapsulates where we're at the moment uh, and it's a bit negative but I, you know look, hear me out betting against Europe I think sums it up at the moment you know I wouldn't bet against it but some people might well, I mean, the odds would be not that great, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Tony knows. Only Tony knows. Sorry. Yeah, Stop it now. Come on. <laughs> All right. That'll do for uh, today. Uh, thank you very much to my guest, Jack Kelly. Thank you. Cheers, Sammy. Thank you. Drew Heatley. Thank you. Cheers, guys. It's been good group therapy. <laughs> and Izzy, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Pleasure. All right. As I said, we'll return on Thursday. Look and head to the Arsenal game. Have a great rest of your week and we'll speak to you on later in the week. But until then, many whites. Yeah.